0: From CNU 23 in Dallas, this is the Strong Towns Podcast. Hi everybody, this is Chuck Marone, uh, still at CNU 23 at the Adolphus Hotel in downtown dallas uh got a couple of, of of interesting characters across the table from me now uh guys i've become uh friends with over the years scott doyan is it can i is i say your last name correctly
1: that is correct doyan
0: perfect ben brown placemakers both welcome to the strong town's podcast
2: yeah oh, thanks thanks, thanks, Thank for, being for, thanks for being here thanks
0: you, you and i first met outside of atlanta and uh, what, what was the name of that, that That's city? Right.
1: That was uh, Roswell, Georgia.
0: Yep. And yep. Uh, they have
1: uh, sort of a progressive uh, group of uh, enthusiastic young people in the business community that yep. were trying to affect change uh, and influence local politics. They have a politics. good group of people, yeah. They do. And, uh, and they brought you in. Yeah. And that was uh, the first time you'd been down in the Atlanta market. And it so is. And so I braved uh, Atlanta traffic.
0: I, I was really honored. All of a sudden, there's this guy there, and I'm like, I, I think I know you, because <laughs> I think we were connected on social media. We and, were, and uh, of course, you're in that you're in that small subset of people that, uh, and I'm talking to Scott. You're in the small subset of people that I I, I love on social media because you always have the quip and the you know you you get all of my bad humor,
1: <laughs> you know. <laughs> I didn't realize you were allowed to put anything else on social media. <laughs>
0: Ben, you and I got to hang out down in, in Tampa.
2: That's right, my, my hometown. And I dragged you around I remember, to, show, to, to, to give you a... A contender for the worst uh, street in America.
0: We we visited the worst road uh, in existence, and and I, I have to agree with you. I think it is the worst one,
2: Dale Mabry Boulevard in uh, in, uh Tampa. Uh, I think that I would best my nominee. I think the Wall Street Journal already identified it as uh, potentially the worst. Uh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. But but I wanted to promote it, so you really got a good feel for yeah uh, for how all all the most. Uh, the worst decisions that we all talk about right. all come together to have a, in a critical mass of really awful, uh, <laughs> a really awful way to get from one place to another. Well,
0: I think that, you know, the fun thing for me, anytime someone says you get to hang out with Howard for, for three days, uh, that was kind of cool. Right. And then, you know, we, we, we had these long days, and then we would go out and have a bite to eat at night. And uh, it just, it was, it was crazy because this was, a, this was a county where you had the old highway, uh, that was replaced with a new highway. And then our project was actually, to, there was a, another a, the interstate now, the, the new, new highway. Right. So it was like three <laughs> versions of the interstate. And they screwed the first one up by developing along it. They had screwed the second one up by developing along it, and the thing that we were there kind of talking to them about was an, a new interchange they wanted to put on the new interstate.
1: To develop to along it. To develop
0: along it, right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and we were kind of like, you know, do you, do you see the pattern here? Uh, that was some cognitive dissonance, like writ large. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, and, and fortunately there were, there were a few people who saw the pattern, but uh, right. maybe not enough, at right. least at this time. Right. right. And you were a big help down there, uh, by the Thank way. You. I think it really... It was a way for us, you know. Um, I like
0: to take arrows for people, you know, and like I, I can, I can walk in, say the thing, drop the mic, walk out, and then you know, clear some space for rationality, right?
2: Well, what's what's really cool for us, as you know, as communication specialists, is that you know we're always looking for metaphors to steal. You know, yeah, and yeah. you've identified this ROI sure. metaphor for you know justifying transportation, particularly transportation investment. What what are you really getting for that money? And that's a focus that's been missing a lot in new urbanist discussions. And so, when you came along with that, that really gave us a whole new uh, a toolkit yeah, yeah. to talk about to people, and that and that brings people into the room. That that would no- normally be there, you know, the transportation right. specialists, the economic development guys, uh, you know, the the accountants that are involved in in uh, in, in uh, municipal and county administration. I yeah, think yeah. also
1: some uh, some folks of, of uh, particular political bents, You know, I I think there was a period where a lot of uh, people in the placemaking and new urban communities did not really have did not really have good ways to engage with those folks. Right. It's like they were talking past each other constantly because right. there was, you know, planners were were talking about things that seemed inherently progressive, so to speak. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, certain people, you know, were inherently suspicious of that and uh, economics kind of created that glue where it's like, oh, suddenly, look, here's a place where we can have a conversation. Right. About advancing goals that are uh, important to both of us. Right.
2: Right.
0: Now, you know, this,
2: go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's the, it, increasingly because of uh, the situation we work in, that we are, we're really talking about kind of a strategic vision. What's the long term? What are you trying to get at? And I think with the way that uh, you've helped focus that conversation is that we, we talk all the time about the Dr. Phil question you have to ask, you know, right. how's that working out for you? Right. <laughs> you <know>? So <laughs> right. you're, the, you're the Dr. Phil of New Urbanism is saying, yeah, okay, you've done all these things. Well, how's that working out for you? Right, you know?
0: right. Okay. Placemakers. Yeah. And I think this conversation about uh, asking different questions, engaging broader populations, the thing I, I love about placemakers is you guys are all a bunch of stodgy architects and engineers, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, right. All right, I think
0: we've
2: met those people. Yeah, we, are, we, are, we run across them.
0: Uh, this is a, you guys are a group working around the country, around the continent. I don't know if you've been outside of North America, but I've seen you all over the place. It, it is... Um, you're, you're working in the traditional planning engineering and development fields. Give me your background, Scott
1: Well my background is uh, my first career was in advertising and brand communication right so I spent twelve years at uh, J. Walter Thompson, which is a global firm, uh, and uh, I was working in a division that focused on Uh, business to uh, employee communications, especially external as it relates to recruitment. So, you know, my my job was positioning companies in a way that was attractive and filled the needs of people looking for work uh, and looking to build a career uh, and bring their skills somewhere.
0: Uh, So, you know. Not an engineer. Not an engineer. (laughs) Uh, Your background.
2: Well, I I, uh, I came to this uh, from the background of journalism. Right. You know, I I started out. I worked for 25 years in uh, newspapers in uh, Tampa, Detroit, and then with USA Today for 14 years, and then over to Time Inc. with the magazines. And so my whole career is 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 has been about trying to find stories that would resonate with the most number of people. I was held responsible every day right. for finding, okay, you can tell a story, but we're not going to have any patience with you if the story you want to tell is about you. Right. We're only interested in what's going to bring more people you know, more people to the, uh, to the publication.
0: So here's this, here's this firm, and I, I'm, I'm the outsider coming in. I, I met you, know, you guys back in the mid-2000s. Here's this placemakers, and I'm, I'm thinking, as, as the guy who comes from the traditional engineering firm, I'm thinking engineer, engineer, planner, planner, planner. I see you guys out being massively effective, dealing with working in all kinds of places and in really dealing with the hard problems. I've come to find out you guys are 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 not this traditional set of people. How, how important is that to the work that you do and the audiences you communicate with and really the, the tough problems that you guys are kind
2: of specialists at engaging with. Well, it's, uh, we're, we're, we try to be the glue, you know, to, to uh, coordinate the specialists, the people who are really good at the technical aspects of coding and planning and engineering, yeah. who, but, but who may not be as uh, skilled at uh, connecting with a broad audience. And, you know, the, and, and, and the audiences we're dealing with now in the planning world are increasingly uh, diversified. Sure. As a matter of fact, they're increasingly polarized. And so the, re- the requirement of being able to find a story, an uh, explanatory story that moves people from idea to action, but that also taps into the and resonates with multiple audiences, some of whom are conflicting audiences, that's become increasingly important. And so that's, that's a little niche that's opened up for, uh, for Scott and for, uh, for me in Placemakers. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's, uh, that, that's been uh, a hook on the basis of which Placemakers has engaged uh, with the client community uh, since we were started. And that is, you know, how many, how many planning firms, you know, are comprised 50% of people whose skill set is, you know, bringing people to the campfire. Right. Getting people to engage.
0: Well, the, the traditional engineering firm hires people like you as the the marketer or the loss leader or the, you know, the the... the the idea that, you know, you're kind of on the periphery of it all. And it's run by these engineers and planners who have a very specific way of doing things. And you're essentially being asked to sell what the engineer's vision is. I come in and interact with you guys and I watch you guys work. And the engineering and the planning is there, the competency's there, but it's in support of something else. And to me, that's what I find fascinating about the work you do.
1: Well, the former that you described... There. that's a mindset that the product being created by the specialists is first and foremost what's important right right and then the idea of making sure that the community it's palatable is secondary you know we kind of come at it from the opposite it's the what the community is collectively trying to solve is first and foremost then you engage those specialties in order to solve that problem right but you can't you can't just look at a community... Well, you can look at them and determine what you think they need, uh, but ultimately community change comes from what they think they need. Right. Uh, right. What problems they're facing. And, uh, and uh, the, the former model is... It's only responsive to perhaps what a small segment might identify as the problem. Right. It's not long-term change that's sustainable. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
2: what well, We find ourselves... Um, you know, we look at a lot of RFPS and and uh, a, a lot of invitations to get involved in kind of products, and it, and we, we can spot right away uh, problem areas where, uh, so let's say let's say a process is going on, and so so okay, now we've got our plan in place. Now we need marketing people to come in and sell it. Right. And so we look at that, and we say okay already you've got a problem and we're not it's too late for us to come in and to give you a hand I mean you know essentially what you what you what you seem to be asking for is someone to come in and cover up your failures and then take the hit for the, for what you haven't done no, and thank you know you. and for some reason we're not really interested in those kinds of opportunities
0: exactly exactly you see that all you know with cities all the time too where it's like uh you know here's the direction we want to go in um, come and explain to all these people who don't get our brilliance why this is such a smart thing to do. And, you know, I, I, I watch you guys work and I've seen you engage in a number of communities and oftentimes you're educating the staff as much if not more than, than the population, right?
1: Well, that's true. But one thing that's interesting is, is yeah, when you're responding to an RFP or whatever, you're ultimately, the government is your client and they're going to be saying, you know, help us get the citizens to understand what a great thing this is to do right and that kind of sets up the premise that makes it sound like the government wants to do it and the citizens don't and we're some kind of shills who are to make it amenable right. you know but that's not the case what is typically the case is what the government is trying to do is just not articulated in a way that the citizens understand how it has any relevance to their life other than sure. uh, the immediate walls they put up because it sounds suspicious right so that's our job is more engaging with the community so that we can figure out, okay, what are the stories that define their lives? And what is the connection between that and what the city's trying to advance? And more often than not, those things are in perfect sense, sync.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: the, the problem is that both sides just don't understand how to talk to each other in a way that they realize that they're all moving in the same direction. Right, right.
0: How, is this, how has this changed over the last decade? We've, th- we've gone through a lot of change. Yeah. How has this changed over the last 10 years?
2: Well, I think that... that uh, the, the problem we run into, well, you know, we, we say there are like three components of this kind of storytelling uh, requirement. That, you know, you, uh, first of all, you, you've got to have some kind of shared narrative to move from some, from basic ideas to action, to go from vision to implementation. So you have to have some kind of shared narrative. You also have to have people who, in the community who are the trusted advocates, the elected officials or the nonprofits or uh, community leaders who are trusted advocates. And then you need a time. then you need a time frame. From moving from the vision to the implementation, that demonstrates that 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 what you promised is actually coming true. Well, all of those things have unraveled, uh, you know, over the last few yeah, decades, and that yeah. plugs right into a lot of what you do. Sure. Saying when you say, "Look, you know, you said you you said this 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 transportation investment was going to deliver these kinds of opportunities for these for this broad range of income and ages and that sort of thing," right. and look how badly that's happened the over, the, this, yeah, yeah. over the years. Yeah, failed. So. Now we're at a point where a lot of that a lot of that failure is obvious. Right. It's really obvious. And that all that does is draw, the, the, the sense of failure and the inability for government, especially, to deliver on the promises frustrates everyone. It frustrates the elected officials, the staff, the citizens. They divide up in their, their, their little tribes. They, they, they get at war with one another. That polarizes the, the entire environment. That makes it hard to get anything done. Therefore, it's harder to go for promise to, to implement it. implement action, and so you have this unvirtuous circle that feeds on itself. And, and I think that you know, we know for sure what's happening at, in Congress in terms of the polarization and right. the inability to get anything done. That's that's followed now into the state houses and now even into the local communities. Where when you used to take polls about who's trusted, you used to go uh, my local. I trust my local officials. Right. I'm not so sure about the state, right. and I'm really not so sure about the federal government. Right. Now we hate everybody. Right? You know, we right. don't trust anybody. Right. Nobody can get anything Nobody's done. So that's what's changed.
0: Yeah, and I I, I, I see that too. And I, I there's days, and maybe I'm going off track here a little bit, but I, I'd like you guys to weigh in on this because I, I, I value your opinion. A lot of times I feel like like I show up for a meeting at a local level, and there's Tea Party people, and there's Sierra Club people, and they're not taking guidance from the local issue that we're engaged on. They've got some other program they're plugged into. So when I, like, you know, present... a, a project or I see someone present something that is very logical, uh, it will get attacked from these very deeply ideological places. And I almost feel like our communities have turned into kind of puppets in a way of, of, of of a dysfunctional national dialogue. Is that a i mean is that a fair it's completely
1: fair i mean a a great example of that and you probably followed it from afar was uh the atlanta transportation tax yeah yeah no that was uh, that was the atlanta transportation tax you know like any kind of tax it was ultimately driven by politics yeah and the politics of getting something done in atlanta was well if in town is going to
0: get money and the Burbs have to get
1: money. Right. And so, as the project list came together, it had a lot of really
0: progressive. So, to get a smart project, we have to do 20 bad projects. That's right. That's exactly right. How, it, right.
1: how it played out. And so, but what that ended up doing was uniting the uh, Georgia Tea Party and the Georgia Sierra Club. Right. The Sierra Club uh, objected to the the percentage of the money that was going to sprawl transportation projects yep and the tea Partyers were objecting to tax in general right uh and they actually they partnered and defeated that mm-hmm. uh and and so a little bit different than what you're talking about because you're describing them as remaining separate factions but i think it's getting so it's getting so ridiculous that, that it like is. now it's a land of strange bedfellows yeah where people are uh opposed to each other in, in ideologically and are partnering to still stop things.
0: Yeah, I, I do think the, the hope, the salvation that we have is that at the local level, when you get people in a room, a lot of stuff breaks down, right? I mean, if you can really genuinely get to people and, and listen to them. That's right a lot of these things go away. I mean, maybe not for the, the local tea party leader or the local Sierra Club leader, but certainly for everybody who's showing up in, in their name. Uh, once we start engaging with people, we, we have a lot in common.
2: Yeah, and it's not just the engagement. I mean, you have to really demonstrate that you're listening. The, the only way you can demonstrate that you're listening is that you respond uh, you actually do something. Right. That, it leads to something. That, right. That <laughs> demonstrates that you've listened to people and incorporated their ideas. Now, this doesn't mean, we've heard, in some of the failed public processes, we've heard consultants come in and say, Every idea is as good as every other idea here. Oh, man, that's wrong. Because I mean, that's that's a lie from the get-go. Or we even know, worse,
1: there are no bad ideas. There are no bad there ideas. There are no bad ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well,
2: we all know there's some really terrible ideas <laughs> right. out there. And so what we really need is some mechanism that helps us sort through the good stuff from the bad stuff. Right. Really, And everyone will agree to that as long as they think that system is fair. And so the real task in a community uh, is to say, okay, we have a. Let's talk about how to make a fair system of sorting through ideas, so that we go from go from a whole bunch of ideas that are unfocused and maybe some terrible ones, to get to ones that are much more focused and, and that will get us where we want to go.
0: All right, you guys have worked all over. I, I, I want to ask you, give, give me the the favorite project you've worked on at Placemakers. Oh, come on, come it's, it's on, it's going to be on. the same one. <laughs> is it
2: uh, Decatur?
0: Well. All right.
2: You're resisting that because you live there. Uh,
0: yeah, I, li- I live in Decatur. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a... Uh, That's a pretty good indicator of things going right. That was... It was. Well,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm completely biased uh, okay.
0: because I love where I live.
1: Yeah. Uh, but uh, we uh, we participated in, in the strategic plan yeah. Of uh, uh, that Decatur did in 2010, and... Uh, and it was it was an interesting pairing because Ben and I were operating as subs to another firm uh, that was actually doing the strategic planning. Sure. So we were strictly dealing with uh, ways to engage the broader community, and uh, and one of the interesting things that they did, getting back to let's talk a little bit as Ben was saying, you know, the shared narrative, right? This was not the first this was not their first time out of the barn. In 2000, they did strategic planning. Okay. And they. Uh, they audited the plan 10 years later and they they, they had actually done eighty percent of what was in that plan oh wow and uh... so so uh... you know they, the shared narrative was there you know because there was a culture of uh... of engagement with the community and people people uh... you know so the government had a good sense starting out okay what are the issues that are going to be coming up in this process we got a feel for it uh, a lot of people uh, were involved in that trusted storytellers you know the government had a high level of trust because they've been doing what they sure. said they were going to do. They've been following do. through. Um, but then also, working with the city, we put together a program where we're going to do these massive roundtables, you know, uh, one every two weeks for eight weeks. You know, so for any citizen that participated, you had to give eight hours of your time. Wow. Yeah. You know, and you had to show up at these small roundtable groups. The facilitators for every roundtable were trained residents. Oh, okay. So that increased the level of trust in the process. Sure. Because, uh, you know, it was kind of an all, we're all in this together, and it reinforced that idea as opposed to bringing in a bunch of consultants, like, you know, which kind of always sort of amps up that feeling of, we're here... Right. You now we're here to help you. Right, and uh, so it was—it was much more Decatur helping itself, and Ben and I were just kind of along for the ride, and sort of bringing our expertise to making that river flow. Yeah,
2: yeah. it was a lot of fun. We could—it's sort of like—it's uh, sort of like being able to take a Ferrari out and really open it up. Yeah, somewhere so everything we knew how to do, we could max out. Really, there. that's
0: that's and awesome. And so we
2: didn't—you know—we didn't have to kind of hold back and wait till people got to certain steps. Now, now one of the things. That was really important that, that I learned about anyway, because I because I didn't don't live in Decatur, is the is that is all the stuff that had happened before before the strategic planning process started, even the original strategic planning process, because Decatur had a chance to go down that same road that a lot of uh, suburban communities go down to, in terms of a segregated populace, bad ideas about transportation investment. They had a they had a chance to do all make all the bad mistakes. And because they were very much like other communities in the Atlanta metro,
1: and they were coming on the heels of having made a lot of bad mistakes,
0: sure, so there was sure. a mess to There's clean up. a history up. of it. Right? Yeah. There was
2: a mess to clean up. And so they they made they made some good decisions, and then and then then committed then, then pointed out that look, you know, we had you know we talked about this together. We agreed on certain tasks that we want to get done. Now we've done eighty percent of them. So we've demonstrated that we listen. Not only did we listen to you, but we well, we've done things in response to what you told us to do. Now let's take it. Let's be more ambitious. Let's use that that example of taking of getting things done based on our, the promises we make to another level. Right. You know. And so that, that so that's they they started out with a shared narrative already that made it much easier to work
1: there. And the implied promise, uh, which actually was explicit to some degree in some of the things that we wrote, was that as a participant, your time will not be wasted. Yeah, you know this is a meaningful participation. Your time will not uh, be wasted, and uh, and you know that roundtable process caters to a city of twenty thousand people, and uh, just signing up, committing eight hours of their time, six hundred people. Wow! And, wow! Uh, and by the time the process was over, because there was other avenues to uh, to sure. uh, participation over the course of the year, uh, you know it was in the, it was in the
0: thousands. There's a, there's a lot of people and maybe some people here even who would write off Atlanta and the Atlanta region, uh, just because of the, 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 the Eastern version of uh, the Phoenix embrace of the, right. the development pattern. Right. But I, you know, in a couple times now that I've been, and I haven't been to cater, but now you make me want to go. Um, and a couple of times I've been to this part of the world, I've been brought to some really spectacular places that have emerged from this. And I think, you know, give a, give a, give a really strong alternative to, What else is? It shows you that there's it's possible to do great things.
1: Well, I I think certainly one of the things about Decatur is the scale.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: it's four square miles, twenty thousand people, Um, and certainly in terms of you know checking off tasks, you know, it's 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 been at a a manageable it's a manageable scale to work with. You know, I mean, especially as it relates to infrastructure. And things like that, getting things done. Right. Uh, they're able able to do it. You know, like any any uh, uh, southern city, you know, there you know will always be social issues, which are not so easy to crack. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the commitment is there to work on those. Right. Uh, but in terms of, like when you say, you know, Decatur's a real success story. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think I think what... Uh, What people are really referring to is growth-related issues. Yeah. Creating livability. Yeah. uh, And, uh, you know, in that realm, hugely successful. Excellent.
0: Placemakers.com. You guys are both contributors to the Place Shakers blog. It's excellent stuff. Thanks for taking the time to stop up and chat with me.
2: Oh, it's been great. Thanks, as always.
0: Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your CNU.
2: Okay, you too. That America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Morone, this has been fascinating. Who oh, made it today?
1: I like you. I like your
2: vision of the of the world.